Hello, folks. Welcome to the very first edition of the Straightforward Farming Podcast. I am your host, Tony Reed, otherwise known as Growing Corn 2020 on TikTok. Uh, this is the virgin run for us. Uh, I don't know how this is going to turn out, so bear with us and we'll see what happens. I'm joined today with a good friend of mine, Nick McCormick. He goes as in McCormick1466 on TikTok. And you're going to be hearing a lot out of Nick. Um, he's been a friend of mine since kindergarten, lives a mile or two down the road now. We spend a lot of time drinking beer together, running around, our kids play together. So um, yeah, we're going to have Nick help us out a lot. You're going to be hearing a lot from him, I think, as we uh, move along here. So Nick, without further ado, tell us about yourself and we'll go from there. Well, first off, thanks for having me, Tony. Really appreciate it. Looking forward to it. Um, quick background on me. Like I said, you and I have been friends since kindergarten. We're the same age. Um, grew up, you know, here in South Central Illinois. Family's farmed my own my whole life. We farm now. Run a diesel repair business. Do a little tractor pulling. Work on some tractor pulling stuff. High performance side of things and farm repair. Um, went to the University of Illinois. Graduated in '02. Been farming and, and working ever since. Cool. Yep. That's good. That's uh, so. What's one of the things that you have? learned from TikTok. So I've been on TikTok longer than you, uh, which not by much. I've been on there for a little less than a year. You've probably been on there three, four months, somewhere in there. Yeah. I basically started off just to kind of watch your stuff and support you, to be honest with you. Um, really didn't have any grand visions of ever posting anything or whatnot. Um, but you hate to keep watching and not actually post some stuff or whatever. Let's say the biggest thing I've learned from TikTok is one, some people have a lot of time on their hands, but two, um, <laughs> it's very interesting to see how other people live. You know, like take right. for instance, Montana farmer seventy five. Right. You know, I don't know anything about barley in Montana. Right. I'm far from an expert now, but I knew I know more now than I did. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it's just interesting to see how you know with Chuck Weldon with the hog issues in the barns and this, that, and the other. You know, right. I'm not intricately involved in in raising pigs or barley. Right. So it's it's neat to see. Other things that other farmers are doing that we, you um, we're kind of in a you're, you're in a little bit of a vacuum in your home area, right? You know, around here we know corn and soybeans and a little bit of wheat. Right. Outside of that, we don't have any special crops unless they're in your garden. Right. You know, exactly. on, a very, on a very small scale. So it's interesting to see how other people grow different crops on a large scale. Right. Exactly. And I'll tell you one thing that we take for granted here in Central Illinois is how it really is one of the best places in the world to farm. We get adequate rainfall. We have Good soil, big square fields, no rocks. I mean, it, it really is a nice place to farm. And I was talking to a guy out of southern Missouri here. It's probably been a month ago. He came up to Barker Implement in Shelbyville to buy a field cultivator. He's with a buddy that was buying a field cultivator. And he got to talking about irrigation where he's at. And it's like, holy shit. I mean, that that comes at a major price. You know, you don't just flip the switch on that deal and walk away from it and you got 200 bushel corn. I mean, that is a full-time job once the irrigators start. And I mean, it... It sounds like a giant pain in the ass almost. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> where, where my wife's from in Illinois, they irrigate one of the few spots in Illinois that has irrigation. And when I go up there, it's like, wow, so you're going to do that? Hmm, that looks like a lot of work all yeah. the time. And the benefits are good, and they can't grow crops without it. But I got some friends in Nebraska that irrigate a lot. And that's a full-time job. Oh, absolutely. Above and, above and beyond farming, you could have two guys just working on right. center pivot stuff from from what I little bit I know about it. Right. You know, and then you see the corners of the field and there's nothing. And it's like, wow, 
that that without the water, they literally have nothing. Yeah, nothing yeah. at all. And it's crazy because that guy in Missouri was telling me, you know, I for, I and don't quote me on all this because it's been a while back now. But you know, if if the one of his big pivots took twenty four hours to make a revolution, you know, basically that was putting on I'm going to say an inch of water, so it took an hour or a day to make a revolution. Um, you know, once one of them pumps goes down or a motor goes down, I mean, it is all hands on deck because. The soil was sandy, and it's so hot that yep, you once you get up. behind, you'll never catch up. Never catch up. And it, it's just crazy to think about that. You know, around here, we plant a crop. You walk away from it. You come back in the har- uh, fall, and you harvest, and yeah. that's it. I mean, My wife always always makes the comment where she's from, enter rain in the morning, turn the pivots on at noon. Yeah. You know, that's just how it is there because of the sand and the heat. Yeah. And that and the other. If you don't, like you yeah. say, you can't catch up. Yeah. You know? When we were cutting weed out in Nebraska when I was on the harvest crew, them guys always called it chasing water, and they were flood irrigation there, so they had the big, I don't know what you would call it, the trenches down through the field, you know, that they flooded, and they always called it chasing water. They'd take off at 5 o'clock in the morning with a shovel because you had to make sure nothing was dammed up or yep. nothing blew out anywhere. And, uh, yeah, they would literally work. Well, they'd work till the heat of the day, noon or whatever. They would stop. Then in the heat of the day, they would go to the house, do whatever, and then that evening they'd take back off with a shovel, and it's just like, God damn, that would just... <laughs> I don't. That, that's not my cup of tea. I guess we're we're very fortunate in that regard. You know, you talk about the rocks and whatnot. We were at a pool one time. And a guy was talking about he was from Ohio, and he was telling a buddy of mine and myself that they had a lot of rocks in their field. They were picking up or whatever. My buddy's like, "Well, rocks? Who put them there?" Yeah. And he's like, "Well, God did. You know, exactly. thousands of years ago." He's like. Well, man, what, don't you have them all picked up by now? And he's like, well, no, new ones surface all the time. And, you know, but he's from central Illinois, north right. of here, in, in the really good black dirt. Right. No idea that rocks existed in fields yep. just randomly. Exactly. You know? And, I mean, to you and I, God's honest truth, if you're going through the field and you see a rock that's, you know, maybe the size of a softball or a little bigger, odds are you're going to stop and pick it up. It's like, God, we don't want to hit that. And you get in the Dakotas and places, they're like, that ain't nothing. I mean, you farm right over there. Yeah. <laughs> that's nothing. I mean, they're talking rocks the size of my kitchen table. <laughs> yeah. It's like, God. Yeah, those small ones will just turn a, a roller over and roll yeah, back in the ground. Exactly. Hey, we're getting off for <laughs> Yeah, it's just insane. And that's what's so cool about the agriculture in this country. It is so uh, diversified with the crops and with the land and just the whole gamut is just a totally different aspect from the East Coast to the West Coast. I mean, it just... Yeah, like I said, you know, we're living a little bit of a vacuum in the fact that you know, when you think farmer, at least when we think farmer, we think corn and soybeans, but there's so much more to that. Right. And, you know, I, I, we're fortunate and probably unfortunate in the same regard. We're fortunate in the fact that we don't have to diversify into a bunch of other crops, right. at least the current trends. Right. But by the same token, those guys spread their risk out and the reward right. with right. all those other crops that you really, right. I don't know if you couldn't grow them here or not, or you right. can't or not, you know. Right. That's what I've always wondered. So take, take in this, I, like... I mean, I guess you could throw out the maybe our climate, maybe that could have something to do with it. But as far as rainfall, where we're not irrigating, you know, why was cotton never a crop in Illinois? Or I mean, I'm not saying it wasn't 200 years ago, but you know, it's never. I mean, my grandpa, my great grand, I mean, going way back, never raised cotton. No, and it's that's just weird how them markets. And you don't work. have to go very far to find cotton. Yeah, exactly. Know? Yeah, you drive to the right to Missouri in the corner here. There's yeah. cotton. Yeah, not, not which is two hours from here at right. the most. You know, right. And there's cotton there. Like I said, there's no cotton here. No. To my knowledge, never has been. Tobacco is the other thing. Not right. that I'm dying to get. That looks like a lot of work, too. Right. But, you know, you get into Kentucky, Tennessee. Right. Bam. Tobacco. Yep. You go to Wisconsin. I've got some friends that grow tobacco up there. At yeah. least they used to up until recently. Right. And we're this huge, long state in the middle. Yeah. And I don't know anybody in Illinois that's ever grown tobacco. Exactly. You know? And and really, it's never diversified. 
in our immediate area, and I'm going to say within, I mean, you probably back me up, but within a hundred mile circle of where we live, it is corn, soybeans with a little bit of wheat mix. But I mean, there was never sunflowers no. or, I mean, you know, you know, they talk about them crops out West, you know, lentils and, you know, whatever else, chickpeas. Now I do know there is some vegetables in Illinois, uh, the largest pumpkin producing state in the nation, which I don't know where the hell they're growing at. Cause I've never seen pumpkins anywhere. There's a lot of pumpkins North on 57, like in the Kankakee area, I think. Really? You'll see some up there, or at least I've seen a pretty good patch up there. And then a lot of those vegetable crops are in like Mason County. Uh-huh. Um, they used, they don't grow as many now as they did, but I, I think there's still a lot of green beans, a lot of uh, sweet corn, okay, a lot of uh, popcorn. Really? Well, Weaver used to have, a, I assume it's still there, a large facility over that way for popcorn. And I know there was a ton of specialty crops there, like, I'll be darned. like green beans, green beans being the main one. Right. I'll yeah. be darned. Yeah, that's just one of them things. I mean, it has been corn and soybeans with a little bit of wheat mixed in around here for as long as I can remember. Now, I guess maybe the high corn prices, you know, 10 years ago or, whatever, or 2012, whatever it was, shut a lot of that off. Because when I was a kid, there was a fair amount of Milo raised yeah. around here. In fact, my grandpa used to raise it. but We used to raise it. Man, I'm glad we don't raise it anymore. Yeah, but I mean, you know, even what, down around Farina, I mean, you know, 30, 40 miles south, of us, there used to be a lot when I was a kid. I mean, it's gone. I mean, you don't yeah. see nothing anymore. Yeah, and I assume corn prices, you know, sheer economics right. got rid of some of that. But to be honest with you, I don't know where you take a bushel of Milo now. Right, exactly. You know, when, I, when we were kids, every elevator took Milo. Right, right. Now, I, I suspect you'd drive away if you just wanted to get rid of it. I'm assuming, yeah. So the last time we raised it, uh, that was when I was working for another farmer there at Shelbyville. We raised some one year, and we had, we hauled it direct to St. Louis and put it on a barge. Yeah. So. Yep, but I don't know. What do you think on some of this farm equipment nowadays? I mean, where where do you see this going as a diesel mechanic? I mean, what's what's your thoughts on some of this stuff? Well, I think I think we're in a very unique time. You know, you grew up same time I did. Everybody loves forty twenties, ten sixty sixes. You know, the older stuff or whatnot. Every farm still has one or two of those on it, right? Okay, and those things thirty, forty years old now. Yep. You know, whatever they are. You might still have an M, you might still have this, that, and the other. I don't think you'll see this new stuff ever last that long. Right. You know, we can't keep the emission stuff working on it now right. when it's brand new, Right. let alone 15, 20 years from now. You know, I always right. made the joke when the 8400 series John Deere came out that I'm, I told a buddy of mine, I'm like, well, that'll be great till a mouse gets in there. Right. He's like, well, same thing that happened to a Magnum. I'm like, that takes a big mouse to eat linkage. Right. You exactly. know, when, when, once everything's fly by wire, well... One mouse problem can cause you $15,000 worth of wiring harnesses later yep. if you can still get them once that tractor gets right. very old and you've got a huge issue. Right. So I, as hard a time as they have keeping all these sensors working when the stuff's brand new and still under warranty, I see that being a huge issue going forward. You know, the tractor you gave two, 300000 for, you know, you've had it on the farm. It's got 4,000 hours now, 5,000 hours. It's 10, 15, 20 years old. Right. Will it even start and run, or do you just shove it in a fence row? Does that become, you recycle right. that for parts, and it goes right. into the scrap bin? I mean, right. that gets pretty expensive if you start throwing away stuff yeah. that new when you're 40-20. Yeah. If you can shake the wheel and get your ether can jammed in, it will still start, and you <laughs> right. can use it, you know? <laughs> exactly. Right. And, and it's even, what you know, I know all the, the value of the dollar, all that plays into it, but, you know, back then, take a 40-20, for example. You could buy one new for... What between six and nine thousand bucks from start to finish, yeah. you know, yeah. wherever it was. So now it's worth double that. Yeah. Where you're not going to do that on a tractor nowadays. I mean, yeah. you're not going to buy it for three hundred thousand, run it for fucking fifteen years, yeah. and sell it for six. I mean, my dad always told me when when he was still selling for IH. I think the first 
1066s sold for like ninety two hundred and fifty dollars. Yep. And the last ones were forty six thousand and some. Is that and right? That was from seventy one to seventy six. Holy cow! That's how fast stuff went up in the seventies. Wow! I didn't realize yeah. that. Yeah. So you know, everybody talks about resale, resale. Well, ten sixty sixes will sell for more than they did new. Yeah. From the first few years, you know, obviously they're not bringing over forty six now. Right. But uh, you know, it's it's just interesting to see how that stuff goes. I don't I don't think you're going to see. Like you said, that carry on going forward. Yeah, I had no idea 1066 was that expensive at the end of the series. I didn't realize By the that. end, but I mean, everything. The 70s, when we look at land in the 70s, right. it was doing the same thing. You know, right. what guys were buying for $1,000 right. in 1972 was, right. you know, hit $3,000 somewhere in there, right. around here anyway. Yep. You know, and then the 80s came and right. then it sold for 900 Yep. And I guess the funny part, too, is is take a, take a 1460 International Combine and yeah, if a big farmer back then had one and ran it for four thousand hours, think of the acres that he put through it in four thousand hours. But take an S seven ninety now and have four thousand, and look at the acres that that thing's ran. I mean, it's and that's the deceiving thing about combine hours in general. You know, back then nobody unloaded on the go, right? You know, and they only had an hour meter. They didn't right. have a they didn't have hours for the separator, right? So you know, a four thousand hour machine. If you look at one today, it's got 4,000 separator hours. It's got 2,700, 3,000 engine, or, you know, 4,000 engine hours, 2,700 right. separator hours. Well, that had to be way worse even back then. Right, exactly. And the other, so you really need to look at bushels mm-hmm. that have came through the machine, which the monitor keeps track of now. Right. You know, which you didn't have that luxury back then. And the other thing that's that's a super, super big factor in that that nobody takes into consideration for the most part is the speed at which that crop comes through. Exactly. You know, yep. bushel's a bushel, but... You know, you run your auger at, at a dead idle and run 10, you know, run a million bushels through it. Right. Unloading a bin and then run a million bushels through it at wide open throttle, you know, PTO speed. Right. And see which auger works better at the yeah. end of the day. Right. The speed has a ton to do with it. I know certain brands of machinery that they've sped up the unloading system on was the same unloading system as the previous model. Right. But they sped it up. Now they're wearing grain tanks out. Right. You exactly. Know, which they've never had that problem before, but they're turning yeah. the augers faster and it wears it out quick. So... It's a little deceiving there on on how much that is, but you know, you, you think back, it's like, man, that fourteen sixty was huge, right? You know, what a massive machine. Yep. And that you know, guy got by farming his however many acres back then. Now one combine can do in an hour bushel wise what that took that guy all morning to do. Yeah. You know, yeah. from a bushel standpoint, right? And we grow better crops now too, so you, you yeah. have the opportunity to bring more bushels in. But. Right. Right. Yeah, it all factors in, and it kills me too how the mindset of the farmer has changed too. As far as, you know, you could get a 12 row corn head on an 8820 back then. And I mean, if you had mentioned that to somebody now, you know, they would just look at you like you got four heads. It's like, you would never run a 12 row on something like that. It's like, they were actually capable. You know, I don't know when a first 12, what was the first 12 row on an IH combine? Probably a 1680? No, no, you couldn't get a, an IH made 12 row till 23s. Oh, really? Okay. And you had to do the third lift cylinder and a weight package for that. And there wasn't very many 12 rows at that, I don't think. Yeah. Um, but like you said, farming is so much different now than it was then. You know, the window was bigger. You know, when we were right. kids, you didn't plant in mid-April. Right. If you started planting in April at all, it was yeah. a pretty good year. You know, it yep. was, and it took forever. Yep. You know, you planned for a month, it seemed like. If you were done, you start first of May. If you were done by June, that was great. Yeah. Harvest was the same way. Yep. You know, but and the elevator stayed open until ten o'clock. Right. And you know, come through. Now the elevator's closed at five. Right. But you get done a, a month sooner than you used yep. to. Yep. Exactly. You know? That's been the humongous bottleneck around here. Is the elevators have not updated 
with the times, you know, it's still the same 300 bushel pit that you're dumping it. They built more bins, but you can't get it out of the pit into the bin any quicker than what you used to. There's been a few upgrades, but I mean, you know, Back then, there. I mean, when we were kids, everybody hauled with wagons, and I mean, yes. fucking everybody. Yeah, you know, you'd see a little, you know, two ton grain truck every now and again. Every once I mean, in a while. But now, I mean, it's semis or nothing. I mean, wagons are completely obsolete in this area. In fact, on our farm, personally, we're probably the only ones that still haul with straight trucks. I mean, we yeah. don't have a semi, and I mean, people just look at you like you got two heads, and like they can't believe it. But, yeah, I, I mean, if you think about the improvements that the farmer has made, you know. We'll take our local area, like you said, and I'm not knocking the grain elevators by any stretch of the imagination because that stuff's all expensive. Right. I get it. But, you know, essentially the grain elevators in our area are, are similar to what they were when we had a 715 and a 4 row. Yeah. Yep. You know, well, now, like you said, you've got big combines now, semis, you can bring it in fast, this, that, and the other. Right. And it, and it bottlenecks it up. Now, by that same token, farmers have built a lot more bins since then, so a lot right. of it gets stored on the farm, and then you haul right. it off later. Right. But it's tough to keep up with that with that trend and they, and they're getting by and they don't necessarily have to. Right. But it's it, funny when you look two miles up the road here, you got a family that, you know, in what the seventies run a grain elevator. And then there was one North of Strasburg, a local family yeah. and you drive by them today and it's even a small setup for a farming operation yeah. now. And that was an elevator was when an we elevator were kids. One time. <laughs> it's yeah. like, God, I mean, there's guys that are building bigger single bins than what their entire yeah. grain system holds. Yeah, exactly. You know, and back then they had a semi, Mm-hmm. and some sort of trailer and they could more than keep up with yeah. the guy with an eight in ford and two little giant wagons yeah. you know that was coming in every yep. two hours you yeah. know <laughs> it's funny because oh uh well they're both dead and gone now but i don't know if you remember old gaylord and gleason reagan there was two old guys that lived up by where i farm they i mean they were older than the hills two bachelors brothers never been married lived together their whole life and their big thing in the fall was they would go out behind everybody's combine in the field and they'd pick up corn on the cob you know and they'd yeah. carry it in five gallon buckets and dump it in their truck and that's what they'd feed their cows all winter and i'll never forget it was probably about 2005 2006 i was talking to gleason at the restaurant one day and he'd been picking up corn we was talking about you know farm machinery and this and that and he said he told me that he said boy an old cow just starved to death behind one of these new combines <laughs> it's like yeah he was just so impressed at how they just don't leave nothing anymore they, they, they don't yeah. live near what they did and you know poly corn heads have had a lot to do with that you know mm-hmm. i remember showing with an old steel corn head and it's like every time the biggest ear in the field it seemed like you'd yeah. see it come in tink and off it'd go it's like yeah. man and then there, there'd be one that always sat on the hood it'd just sit there right on the on the hood of the you know of the corn head and you just watch it and you're like oh it'll fall in here eventually nope another ear would hit it tunk chunk, yeah. chunk it out and it's like it was the best ear in the whole field yeah. i i tell you i have always been mesmerized with combines even since i was a little kid and, you know, back, I mean, I remember, you know, when a 9600 John Deere come out, sitting in the cab of one of them or looking through the brochures, and I mean, just just in utter disbelief, I mean, two seats in this thing. I mean, this thing was just massive, you know. It's like, I, I just don't see how combines would ever get any bigger or better than this. And I mean, that's a tinker toy now. Yeah. But it is just mind-boggling the amount of, you know, take, you know, running a 40-foot draper at five mile an hour i mean that is a lot of material coming through a machine i mean yeah it is flat amazing what they will do you can get more done with one of those and if you know when we were kids growing up if you went to the coffee shop and got everybody in there and put all their combines together wouldn't equal what that one will do now yeah exactly but by that same token back then everybody's at that coffee shop could buy a new one right and get it paid for <laughs> exactly. and now we don't know anybody that's buying a brand brand new one right you know? <laughs> yeah that's funny how that's changed you know because when i was a kid it seemed like somewhere along the line 
everybody bought a new tractor or two. And they, you know, they didn't do it all in one year, but I mean, anybody when you know when I was ten years, so let's say the mid eighties. If you had a farmer that was 50 years old, he probably had at least one new tractor on his farm and probably bought another new one sometime before he retired, you know. But now, and then, you know, that guy might have only farmed 500 acres. Yeah. And now it's like, you don't have guys farming 500 acres that are buying new tractor. I mean, it's... No, absolutely not. But the other thing that factors into that is, you know, back then, there were no used tractors to be had because tractors, truthfully, were fairly new. Right. You know wasn't that many years you had to go back and there was horses yeah and stuff had gotten enough bigger it's like well i can either buy a new 1466 or i can maybe find a 560 or an m that's for sale right but there wasn't that much on the market we didn't have the ability to look right. on the internet and yep. find one in you know three states away right so you you had to go to your two local dealers yep it had to be something you were going to drive home because lord knows you weren't paying to have it trucked right if you could even find a truck that could haul it right so there's some factors in there that play into that and like i said stuff wasn't near as expensive you know like farm ground back then i mean how many guys did you hear hear of that you know started with nothing you know their dad might have farmed but they went out on their own right they bought 500 maybe a thousand acres by the time they were done might not even farmed at all right rented some of it out got it all paid for and now guys our age if you get 80 acres bought in your lifetime yeah you know you're doing pretty good and there are kids yeah i mean it's literally gonna take you if i bought 80 acres right now that's okay. Let's lowball. Let's say eight thousand bucks an acre. I would literally be retirement age by the time it was paid for. Well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, and, and truthfully, if you want to run the numbers, it would never pay for itself. No, I mean, never. never. It, but it never has. Truthfully, I mean, right. you're always banking on it going up. But yes, right. that's exactly right. It's it's a totally different environment now. You know, farming. You know, it's like dairy farming is always one of those things. If you weren't born into it, you're never going to get into it. Right. Grain farming is getting to be that way. If you're not born into it right. in some fashion. Well, you're probably not getting into exactly. it. You know? Exactly. You're not just going to decide one day like you could in 1965 and say, hey, right. you know, I'd like to grow corn and soybeans. I think right. I'll be a farmer. Exactly. You can't do that now. I, I would give any, if I if you could give me a point in time in life to ever go back to and live, I think the 1940s and 50s in through there would have been neat because you know, you were starting to get some technology, some modernization. You know, you weren't doing everything by hand. Things were affordable. You could live on 160 acres, raise a family. I, I think that'd have been cool to live during them time. And I'm sure it probably sucked. I mean, they, you know, but to me looking back, it would have been. I'm sure as they got older, they're like, man, remember how bad it sucked when we were kids? But right. you know, they had to work all the time, no doubt. And it was tough work, hard work. That's also why those guys were twice as tough as you and I will ever be. Exactly. But it would have been neat. That's why I always tell my dad, I'm like, you were born at the perfect time. I'm like, you had, you know, the coolest cars. Right. You know, you could do whatever you wanted. Yep. Nobody was hounding you about this, that, and the other. Right. You had good tractors yep. all the way up. Yep. It was just a, you know, born at a good time, you know. Yeah, it was. I've always been fascinated with, with that that era of time in there. And I used to think about my grandma a lot. She was 97 when she died. She was born in 1917. She died in 2013. But the amount of stuff that she's seen in her entire life yeah. was just my, I mean, you know, she yeah. was of decent age by the time the Depression hit. Yeah. And you only lived through World War II, Korea, Vietnam, I mean, all this major stuff. And I'll never forget, you know, she talked about the first time they ever seen an airplane. You know, they were just in, you know, because you, yeah. didn't, you didn't see that on the nightly news because you yeah. didn't have the TV or the nightly news, you know. Yeah. It's like, what in the hell is this thing? You know, they were just, they had heard about them. But it's one thing to hear about this mechanism that flies through the air, but to actually see one, it's like, holy one, yeah. shit, you know. And I'll never forget, she always talked about her dad. Which, you know, he would have been born, I'm going to guess, in the 1860s, 70s, sometime in there, roughly. And um, she always talked about the first time he ever drove a car. He drove it right through the, 
the woodshed at the end of her property, and she said the entire time he was jerking on his steering wheel, yelling, "Whoa, you son of a bitch! Whoa!" Yeah. He was so used to you, know, he never drove a car. He was used to horses and run her through the garage. That's funny. And my grandma was the same way. She was ninety nine. It's like the amount of stuff that she saw. She hated horses with a passion because when oh, she yeah. grew up farming, they had horses. Yeah. And when they got tractors, she was done with the horse. You know, she was glad to see them go. Those yeah. were not a fun animal. Those right. were those were not recreational. Right. Those were work, and yep. they were and they were work after you got done with the right. work because you still had to take right. care of them. You know. It makes you wonder where did all these horses go? Because you know there was a point in time where they were getting traded in for tractors. Yeah. I mean, you would have thought the horse market would have been flooded at some point in time because it's like, you know, the dealer takes these in. What the hell's he doing with them? I mean, <laughs> so I suppose it's just like taking in a an eighty two thirty. You know, I guess because <laughs> a guy wants an eighty two fifty. Yeah, you know, I, is, is there somebody else will will take it down the line? There's still some people that that right. wanted those horses worse than they wanted their horses. Yeah, yeah, or horses one, you know, the, oh, who wants one of them tractors? You'll just be working on it, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, horses die, so you're good there. I guess they're you're, they're going to go away eventually. Yeah, that but, it just it does baffle me though. I mean, because we've talked for a long time though that machinery cannot physically get any bigger. You'll never get it up and down the roads, and that's no. why everything's going faster now. You know, planters, combines. I mean, just everything, and it. It makes you wonder where that'll stop. I mean, right now, yeah. you know, we're shitting our pants over ten mile an hour. It may be twenty mile an hour by the yeah. time my kids are. I don't know. You know, you look at you look at planters, and okay, we got to twenty four, went to 36, 48, and then we realized, holy cow, what am I going to do with this used forty eight row planter? Because right. farmer B, he can't afford to rebuild it. Right. He doesn't need it. He can't fit it in half his field. So now we've yeah. kind of they've kind of backed off the big, and they went twenty four yeah. fast. Right. But. You know, not everybody can plant 10 mile an hour. Exactly. Some terrain just physically will not allow it. Exactly. You know, so how fast can it get? And labor is getting harder to get. So, you know, you got to do more with less and it, it gets to be a problem. Right. I've still said my crystal ball prediction is it's going to go much smaller, but one guy will run multiple tractors at once from the end of the field. You know, they'll, they'll find a way to scale that down economically, I think. You know, and there could be a thing where you're back to 25, 30 foot field elevators with a tractor with no cab, but one guy driving them from an iPad. Still taking sixty feet, but he's just running three of them. You know, I don't know. It, I mean, it's very it, possible if we can bomb stuff with drones from a guy that's three thousand miles away. Right. You would think we could probably run a tractor. Right. You know exactly. I was always told it was the first time I ever bought an auto steer. That's been ten years ago, or maybe closer to fifteen. Now it was an easy steer back then, and that guy that was installing that was very sharp on that. He said back then, and I don't remember if it was Deer or, or Trimble or who done it, but their auto steer system back then was set up to where. You told that tractor to go over here and work this entire field, then it would come back and park itself right where it was, but they could never release it because when that tractor went across the road, it didn't know if there was a car coming or yeah. there was a ditch or what, you know, so it was, it wasn't feasible at the time back then because there was no other intelligence to tell it that, hey, there's a problem or there's a car or yeah. whatever, you know. You know, as we move towards self-driving cars and this, that, and the other, they've got cameras and they've got, I don't know what's the term, the something DAR, uh, LADAR. Uh-huh. I think we're lasers and this, that, and the other. I assume all that will play into farming equipment at, at right. some point. You know, it, the problem they're going to have with that is, you know, you see a rock, you stop, and you get out and you pick it up. Right. You know, you see a tile hole, you note it on your phone. Hey, we got to come back over right. to the back room and fix that up. That that thing's not going to know that. It's going to blow on. Exactly. You know? you know, you get to a mud hole. You know, we've done this in the spring when you've had a wet spring. There, yeah. There's been some water there three days ago, and you assess it. 
on the fly. Yeah. Well, I can make it. You I can't. Try to camouflage it for the planner guy, and then exactly. you laugh the whole time thinking, it's, exactly. I wonder if he'll make it through that. Exactly. <laughs> well, yeah. hang the wing out there, work that right. out for him. Yeah, where that thing ain't going to do that. I mean, and you, you can't have stuff that's stopping every time there's a rock the size of a tennis ball. No. You know, so I, I don't know how they'll ever get around that. I mean, I suppose they'll find a way. I mean, you know, we've got technology now that's literally targeting weeds as a sprayer's going through the field, and, I, you know, I'm not sure. For sure. I, I'm not sure. All that technology is great when it works, and it sounds awesome, and it'll be fun to see it play out. But by the same token, you know, as this equipment has gotten so big, it allows farming to get to a, a non-personal level, I guess right. I'll call it. Right. You know, let's say you can effectively manage with a family of four or whatever, 2,500 acres, whatever your number is. Right. And you know that 2,500 acres like the back of your hand. Right. When you start getting big, 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 right. some things fall through the cracks, this, that, and the other. And the problem with farm machinery is it's gotten so big that your your second user, your third user, your fourth user, they don't need a 790 combine. Right. They don't right. have the grain trucks. They don't. They're semis. They don't have the right. auger cart. They don't have the grain bin set up for it. If you drop it off at their place with a sixteen-row head, they can't even get it in the shed. You right. know, they don't exactly. Even, you know, so the second tier of that gets really tough to deal with, and I think the market's starting to realize a little bit of that. Right. And if you'll notice in the tillage world, you know, everything's starting to fold different now. Yep. Because it's got so wide, can't get it down the road. Exactly. So we're folding it different, and then we can get it in the shed better, and this, that, and the other. Yep. I think some of that's gonna play into that factor you know the machinery companies truthfully have probably not done themselves a favor let's say combines never got bigger than 9600s and 2388s okay so six thousand acre farmer needs three of those right let's, let's just say let's just say three well now he's got one well was the machinery company better off to sell them three right or sell them one exactly you know and then exactly. the, the next guy like I said there again he doesn't need a 790 yep. so what do you do with his used one right you know right you drop a 600 horse four-wheel drive off at a guy that farms 400 acres yeah what's he gonna pull with it yeah exactly he, he can't afford a 50-foot field cultivator right you know nor does he need one nor does yeah. he need one yeah. yeah he can't turn around he can't get it through these patches this that and the other so right it, you know everything everything's going bigger better better but is that right or wrong? Right. I will tell, I guess. I, I need to ask my local dealer and see if they would even know, because as most of you know that follow me on TikTok, we actually traded combines this winter for a year-old machine. And he made the comment then that as far as the guys that are rolling combines, and I, I think the magic number was four. That combine's got to be rolled out four times before it's fully paid for through the dealer. You know what I mean? Does that yes. make sense? Yeah. So I wonder what that was back when that was a, a $150,000 combine. You know, I wonder what that roll uh, well, you know, I don't know. You know, you think about the local guys around here that maybe they bought a new 1660, brand new off the showroom floor. Yep. And then they kept that till they retired. Right. You know, and it still only had 3,000 hours on it. They'd spent 10 grand on it, maintaining yep. it. Now you talk to a guy that's got a new combine. He ran it one season. He spent $30,000 on it, getting it right. back up to, to snuff after he had it CMI'd. Right. You know, your second tier market of that, you know, if you're, if you're a smaller guy like you and I, it's like, man. I'm not really looking to spend thirty grand right. on repairs on this. You know, there was exactly. a time where you could build a rebuild a red combine. Ten grand parts would pretty much take you from the feeder house to the spreaders. Right. Now it's not really that way. Exactly. You know, ten grand will get you in the door. Right. And that's uh, you know we catch or I do on TikTok and other places a lot of flack because you know we farm with a lot of new nice machinery, which it ain't mine. I've made that very clear. I'm not the one writing the checks on this deal, and that's a whole another backstory. You'll have to go to TikTok to see how that deal works, but. That's always been the theory with Kevin on our farm is, you know, he has always tried to trade combines every five years. 
And people are like, well, why do you need a combine that new? But his theory was, okay, if I buy a one-year-old combine and I run that thing for 15 years, it's going to cost me so fucking much now when I go to trade it. Yeah. That it's almost, then it's really not feasible. So now it's like, if you can keep rolling these things for, you know, 100, 120 grand to have a year old combine, it's like, why not? I mean, my entire winter has been spent, well, not my entire winter, but a lot of time this winter, as you know, I like to talk on the phone in the evenings to catch up with my buddies. I love talking to people. I love friends. So that's what I do in the evenings, whatnot. After the wife and kids go to bed, I call up my friends and we talk and we talk farming. And that's been the, the debate amongst four or five of my friends that all farm, you know, different amounts. What's the cheapest way for me to own a combine? You right. know, should I lease it? Should I buy it? Should I right. trade every year? Should I do this, that, and the other? And what I've determined is they're all expensive now. It doesn't yeah. really matter how exactly. you do it. They're all expensive. What you need is right. a DeLorean and a time machine exactly. so you can go back and buy 15 9600s or 2388s, yep. park them in the shed, yep. use them until they wore out, pull another one out, scrap them off, exactly. and go on. Because yeah, things right. have gotten so expensive now from the maintenance standpoint. Right. And the wear, it just, it's very tough to justify. But like I said, you're either going to pay me now or pay me later. Right. You're either going to exactly. nickel and dime yourself to the same amount or you're going to put right. it into a new and machine. To me, we're the type, when we go to the field, I hate having trouble. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be fiddle fucking around that, oh, here's a belt, here's a bearing, here's this, that, and the other. And, we, you know, we always run ours through the shop preseason every year, go through the whole inspection, and we, we get along good and we don't have much trouble. And by the same token, is. With us having very nice, very modern, low-hour stuff, it brings a premium. I mean, we about shit when yeah. they told us what they were going to give us for our trade-in. And, I mean, it truly was yeah. it's a premium. We almost couldn't afford to not trade for what they were going to give us. Yeah. And when you finally run the numbers, and don't quote me on this because I, I don't have my notepad in front of me, I think it cost us $14.73 to run that last combine that we had an acre. That's pretty good. You can, I mean, you can't rent one for that. No, you exactly. You can't hire a neighbor to do it for exactly. that. Exactly. So... Uh, I, I think it's one of them. It's almost like taxes. You know how farmers play the game of when you're selling crops and buying inputs in yeah. different years. And I think whatever system you get on, yeah. as long as you can keep that going, you'll yeah. try to maintain you that. You can't hardly get in and get out and switch. Once you're in a lane, right. you better stay in that lane because you, you can't switch. Exactly. And the other thing is new equipment goes up so much, so often now, mm-hmm. that it drags you stuff up with it. Exactly. I assume there's going to be come a time where that's going to f- where there's going to be a couple years in there where there's going to be a correction in there probably right you know now that we're in a million right. dollar combines right once it, you know if the 80s god forbid happen again where that stuff kind of corrects right resets and goes on i mean you see that with farmland or with anything i mean it, right. it always happens eventually right. and to me gas or anything and you know that next correction may be when it goes and if my thinking is right, if it goes full automation. So take the old 9600 John Deere combines, 95. I mean, them things were everywhere. I mean, yeah. everybody around here that was a John Deere guy had one. I mean, absolutely, yeah. tons of them. And, you know, when they were trading them in for rotary combines, Deere didn't want them. What the hell are they going to do with them? Yeah. You know, they, yeah, they're going to ship them to South America. But, I yeah. mean, by the time you give this guy what you think is worth and ship it to South America, they're losing their ass. They melted a bunch of them. Yeah. So that may be the next time things really take a setback when you go to a fully automated combine with no operator or however you want to word that yeah to the ones that we're running nowadays that may be your next reset I, i'm not sure it, yeah i mean it, it's interesting times for sure i mean you, you never know how all that's going to go i don't know it's things have really changed i mean do you guys see that in the tractor pulling world i mean is it really is there much technology in yeah, that i mean that that has changed leaps and bounds to kind of tie it into the farming thing you know this was before my time, but, you know, there's a lot of guys back in the 70s that bought a brand new tractor and never took it to the field. Made it into a pulling tractor. No kidding. Then, oh, it's a brand new 1466. They'd order a narrow front, 
No three point, no PTO. No kidding. Right off the right off right up from the factory, they drop it off the dealer and take it straight to the track. But you know, everybody you think about that, it's like, wow, I can't fathom that because tractors are so expensive now. Right. But back then the other thing is, where are you gonna buy a used ten sixty six? Well there weren't any. Yeah. You know, if you wanted a ten sixty six, you were gonna go in and order it. Right. They, you know, they, they weren't out there to be had. The guys that bought them didn't trade. Right. You know, they weren't trading back for a 560. Right. So those guys would order them brand new off the showroom floor, take them straight to the wow. straight to the shop. I didn't know, you know that. That put, is unbelievable. There were several of them. There was a lot of them. Bob Thompson, uh, the Illinois Streaker, a famous tractor from Lewiston, Illinois. His was brand new off the showroom floor. I think Danny Dean, okay. uh, South Charleston, Ohio. Uh, a legend in the sport. I think his come brand new and <laughs> took it straight to the straight to the track, you know. But you, you can't fathom that now, but by that same token, you know, no new tractors get made into pulling tractors now because yeah. none of it correlates. But yeah, there's a lot of technology and I mean so the turbo technology has just changed just astronomically. I mean, we got in the Pro Stock class in nineteen ninety eight and we probably had back then nobody dynoed back then, but we probably had 1,500, 2,000 horsepower, maybe, yeah. somewhere in that range. We've gained more than that from then till now. No you know, We've gained more than we even had back then. Wow. You know, I remember when I was, you know, when we first got in that class or whatever, a couple years in or whatever, a 4.6-inch turbo came out from Hypermax. It's like, holy cow, how are you ever going to turn that? Right. Now they've got five sixes, five seven, five eights, five nines, you know, they're six inch turbos. Right. And and they turn easier than those did back then because right. the technology has come so far. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's just amazing. You know, every year you think, well it'll never get better, you know, more than this. Right. And then the next year something comes out, yep. you're like, well, another two hundred horse. Unreal. It just it just keeps stacking on there. You're now they're four or five thousand horsepower. Wow. And it's just it's, it's a little bit mind boggling. I, I know I get to see it like when you post videos on TikTok or even we've been out, you know, somebody's shed and you'll throw in a pulling video from years ago. And it's funny because that that's kind of our version of the farm machinery. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it was funny how back then, you know, that pulling, you know, your old 1466 farm, yeah. you know, that was badass. I mean, why, I mean, that was the coolest yeah. thing on the planet. You look at it now, it's like, Jesus Christ, that thing's going like what, eight mile an hour, yeah. whatever it is. I mean, yeah. it's I mean, nothing. You didn't, you didn't have, you know, it was as good as it got then. Yeah. But it was probably, I don't know. Six, eight hundred horse, maybe. Right. You know, probably, how, it was probably eight hundred by the end or nine hundred. How, how much did your speed change? So, like, so they have a pro stock pulling tractor called Nasty Stuff for any of you guys in the pulling world. So, going all the way back to when you guys first started pro stock pulling, what was your miles per hour down the track then compared to well, now? See, Has that changed much? Or the funny thing about that is the sled technology changed in there. So oh. sleds used to run uphill and they were a constant drag, uh-huh. and then they kind of changed to where they run downhill and they have airbags. And then push down to oh, okay. the pan. So when that change happened, it used to be, you know, it was just a constant drag the whole way. Right. And that really changed how you could set the tractor up. Because back then you were churning and burning the whole time. Right. So now you're getting a little bit of a head start. Is that I mean, would that be fair they, to say they start easier. Yeah, so you're they taking off. Back then it was kind of like a dead weight. Yeah. And then it just got worse. Gotcha. So as that technology changed in a sled, you could start clicking up the gears and going faster. Now that being said, once everything went downhill on the sled side of things you know, downhill sleds, and the speed went up, speed really doesn't change. Really? I don't go any faster now than I did five years ago. 
No kidding. 30, 32 mile an hour on a normal length track is about Which, all the sled can get you up to and get you back I was going to say, yeah. You know, we've gained a 1,000 horsepower in there, but you don't go any right. faster because you can't get it to the ground. And a, a standard track is between three and 400 feet. I mean, that probably varies. Yeah, it, it depends on the year and the organization and, you right. know, who's feeling what that day. So, but, nonetheless, you're not going to get up to 60 mile an hour no. back, you know, in 400. No. I mean. <laughs> no, they can't They can't get you up to that and back down. Right. You know, Makes for sense. the longest time, one of our fastest passes was in our lowest gear. On the shortest track at Louisville at the National Farm Machinery Show. Is that right? Yeah, that was one of our fastest peak speeds. I mean, <laughs> no, we didn't maintain it very long, but right. that was my fastest peak speed for, for a Is couple that, of years. So so speaking of Louisville, I know there's probably a lot of people listening that go to that or attend the pull down there or, or have at least been to it. So how long is the track at Louisville compared to Joe Blow County? I mean, is Louisville like considerably shorter? Louisville's like 245 foot, roughly. Oh, shit. So, I mean, that's, that's yeah, pretty short. It's then. pretty short. Yeah, so, so it's on you pretty quick. So, so you're going to set the tractor up completely different. On that gig, I'm yeah, assuming? not near as much as we used to. You know, used to, we ran different tires for down there, and then they changed the rule on that. So you lost a gear for that, and you lost a gear for the short track. Things were a little different. Now, it's pretty much just your good outdoor track setup, which really? doesn't make sense. Yep. But pretty much a good track outdoors, you set it up basically the same. Maybe a little more nose weight because it gets on you pretty quick, and you're good. I'll be dead. So is tractor pulling... Is that can that be as particular as NASCAR? I mean, you know, they talk in NASCAR, you know, I mean, it's talking air temperature, humidity. I mean, which I know that's tires on pavement, but I mean, does outside temperature affect the way that tractor runs, or is, is that close enough that you never really see? So, in the pro stock class, we run intercoolers, so we, you know, we burn 80 pounds of ice in a pass. Mm-hmm. So, we've taken a little bit of that out. Cooler nights, they definitely run better than they do, you know, hot yep. summer day, but. Doesn't affect up us as much, but you get in the spark plug classes. I mean, those guys got handheld computers. Really? They're monitoring the air. Like, Louisville's a real problem for those guys because the starting line is by that big overhead door. Yep. So, depending on the temperature, they may have that door open or they may open and close it the whole time. Right. So, the air is good at the starting line, but it's bad at the finish line. Okay. That's why you see a lot of tractors at Louisville that'll come off the line. They're just, they're, they're rocking it and they're good to go. And then at the end bang they pop and die because they're changed and they can't set it up for both so you got to pick one or the other and you don't know when they're going to open the door right right right. so it really messes with the spark plug guys in the pro stock world the intercooler stuff it doesn't affect us a lot but yeah if it's a super hot humid night like oh it's been several years ago now but salem illinois i'll never forget it. it was probably the hottest place i've ever been in my life it rained like a tenth of an inch right before the pool. It was so humid you could cut the air with a knife. I mean, yep. you could physically see the air. Yep. It was that hot or whatnot. You know, that, they just don't run good in that. You yep. know, the air is just, the air is crap. Sure. You know, I had a very good night that night, but the air is bad, you know. Right. But it affects everybody it's the same, but the intercoolers have helped with that a lot. But. Right. And I assume that's like anything else nowadays. You can plug a computer in and tell everything about that motor you probably want to know. So most everybody in the bigger classes anyway has full data acquisition. So it's going to give you all your exhaust temps, all your pressures, your speed, your RPMs, your wheel speed, you know, on down the line. So you're... Yeah, you can monitor. You can't control anything with electronics and tractor pulling. Right. You can see what happens after you can, you're done. But you can see what happens after you're done and tune accordingly. You know, like I've got a, it's not an iPad, but it's a, a Droid tablet of some fashion on my dash, live display. I'll you know, it shows me all my peaks when I'm done, and then I download it to the laptop. No see the whole run when it's over. So you can kind of stack, hey, this was your pass yesterday, this is your pass today. You know, the changes you made, okay, it made it, you know, it raised my exhaust temp 200 degrees. I've got five more pounds of boost, whatever you got. I'll be darned. Now, are uh, tire pressures as picky on tractor pullings like NASCAR? You know, like they'll, you know, they'll make 
20 laps and come in and change the tire pressures where it's tractor pulling is that something you're pretty much going to run um you're going to adjust tire pressure you know the heat of the day you know if you let it sit outside and the sun's blaring on it and then you know it gets dark that change quite a bit there but as far as your tire pressure going down the track it's not like you're not heating them up like NASCAR. Yeah, exactly. So right. you said on the starting line, a couple tractors before you run, and then you're right. Good. Exactly. It doesn't really matter. I don't know. What's probably the most catastrophic failure you've ever had? I mean, have you ever like completely scattered a motor across the track? Or, uh, I mean, we've thrown a rod a couple of times. You know, back in the day when we were on stock cranks and whatnot. You know, you start spinning over 5,500, 6,000 RPMs. And those stock cranks didn't like that very well. Wow. So Louisville. Two or three years in a row there, you can plan on you're going to put a crank in when you get home. Is that right? Yeah. I'll be if right. you didn't, you'll find out a couple pulls later that you should have. No kidding. Found that out the hard way a couple of times. It'll bend it well. You know, you can see that if you put a piece of steel on a lathe that's not balanced, you know, it'll bend itself. The sure. cranks did the same thing. About 6,500, they just bow. I'll be dang. So, on a pulling tractor like that, and don't take that, I'm not asking for any of your personal, because I know people like to not discuss their what they're actually doing on their own tractor. But So, in a tractor like yours, is that a, an IH block i mean is that a motor out of a 1460s or something or what well it's based on that you know it, it used to be um and then i don't know what it's been now probably six seven eight years ago now we put an aftermarket block in really but prior to that it was the same block like would be in a 5288 a school bus a no kidding. yeah, it was old yeah i had no no clue what what they used on that i assumed yeah. that's probably what it was but yeah. I, I didn't didn't have any it, idea at some point in time you know, we kind of outgrew those, and they changed the rule on loud. And then, yeah, I think those blocks are getting to be 30, 40 years old, too. Yeah. So they changed the rule on that, and now you can you can make your own block. It has to be based on that, you know, so the gotcha. crank's in the same spot, the cam's in the same spot. Right. But you can make it out of better steel. Right. You can make it a little thicker. Right. You know. Yeah, because, I mean, there's got to be thousands of them trashed every year just in pulling tractors. Yeah. And like you say, they're getting, I mean, eventually you're going to run out of them if you don't well, do something. thing got a lot of Navistar trucks rusted out. So yeah, and every school right. bus had a DT four sixty six in it, so you okay. could you could yank them out of that. But now all that there was a period of time, I don't know what it's been, five, six, seven, eight years ago now, where a bunch of that ship got stuff got shipped to Africa. Really? They were clipping all that out of out of those buses, this, that, and the other, and they were taking it all over there. I don't know what they were using it for, but that's what a guy told me that run a salvage yard. He's like, Man, as fast as I can get them, I'm shipping them over there. No in, in any in any form. They don't care if they really? run, they don't you know, they'll take them all. Wow. I don't know if it was true, but I don't know why he lied to me. About right? It, yeah, you know? exactly. So a bunch of that stuff got cleaned up that way, and they're getting old now. You know, the last, yeah. the last version that we want was like 92, 93. Right. Well, that's a long time ago now. I don't yeah. like to think that it is, but it is. Right. Yeah, it is. I'll be darned. So I assume, you know, your boy now, he's what, seven, eight? Nine now. Nine. Yeah. Okay. So has he pulled yet or not? Because you, no, no, you were yet. probably what? 10, 11, I 12. Was probably. We were fairly young when you were pulling in the local pool. 13 or 14. Was it? And, and that wasn't, for those of you listening, that wasn't on a pro stock at that age. You know, he no. had, I know you pulled an 806 at one year. and then we got the 1468. Yep. And then I ran the 1466 farm stock after that. Yeah, yep. So, so I assumed as Max, your boys, he take interest in it? I mean, something yeah, he's probably going to. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, yeah some. Yeah. You know, it's hard to. It's hard to gauge that at that age. Yeah, I was going to say, a lot will change but, between now. But, now. yeah, I, you know, I think he's interested in it somewhat. Yeah. You know? I don't know. what What's been your favorite tractor you've ever, like, if you could, pick, I mean, is the pro stock you got now, is that by far your favorite? Was it the old farm stock? Was it just the old screwing around? I mean, what, what do you think was the? The farm stock was a pretty good time. You know, at the time, it's like, well, you go to the same polls every year. You run against the same 15 guys every night. 
you know, we kind of wanted to expand our horizons, go new places, this, that, and the other. Now, looking back, you're like, man, what good times, you know? Right. You know some of the guys I used to pull with, yep. you know, Tim and Scott yep. Brower, yep. you know, Gene and Alan Stump, all those guys yep. or whatever. Super good people, the Bramer Brothers, you know, yep. whatever. All those guys, super great guys. We were a close-knit family. It was a great time. And now, of course, everything gets better with time, right? So you look back and you're like, man, I look back to that farm stock tractor. I'm like, man, that was fun. All we did was load it on the trailer, right? fill it up with fuel once a year. Right. That, I'm a, that, I mean, fuel tanks. We just filled it up at the beginning. Right. We filled it up at the exactly. end. You know? Changed the oil once in the middle. We just pulled. You know? Right. And that stuff back then, of course, you didn't have the technology, but it wasn't near as picky. Was it? I mean, you got on a turn to key and pretty you got much on a turn went. to key, and, you know, I mean, and, and, and you went. You know, it wasn't like now where you know something comes out every week. Exactly. You know, back then, if you were had current stuff, you might go two, three years, not have to buy anything. Right. You know, a little something here or right. there, but nothing major. Maybe a turbo or something. Exactly. Now it's. It's week to week stuff changes. Right. You know, the suppliers are getting pushed to come out with new stuff all the time. There's right. bigger money in it. Was it was it mm-hmm. more competitive back then as far as is what I mean is when you showed up, you know, anybody could win that. I, and I know it's still that way a little bit today, but is it like NASCAR? It's like, okay, you know, you got forty people out here, but you know, I can tell you probably one of the top seven or eight that's gonna win this. Was it has that changed from the aspect back then? It was like it was just fair game, anybody well, can win this, or is it I think in your bigger classes it's it's probably a little more the NASCAR way now. You know, back in the day, there was 40 guys that had the A-list package, let's say, right. you know, or, or some of the A-list stuff. Well, now, and you could get by with a lot of ingenuity, right? So I didn't have to have the A-list stuff. I could be creative because right. 90% of the parts were stock, right? Right. So I got a buddy that machined me this gear, and I've got, my gear is one tooth faster than his. Right. He doesn't know it because nobody else is selling them. Right. So I can get him off this. There well, you go. now, the hard parts cost what the hard parts cost. Right. And the internet, and they're all available right. everywhere. Right. And everybody knows kind of what they got. Right. And it's full on package. So, and that, it, to me, that would have been out. cool back uh, then, where yeah. you can kind of, you know, engineer it on your own and find different ways to beat this guy. You know, where you're not cheating. I mean, it's obvious that, you know, you're just being. It's perfectly legal, but yeah. you're just being. You're, you're ahead of the game. Creative, you know, like those yeah. old tractors. Okay, so they take a, an intercooler off of a TD8 or TD15 bulldozer mm-hmm. and put them on a 1066. I still got one sitting in the shop. You want to see it, you know? And you look at it today, you're like, "Huh, that makes some good salvage." Right. But it's not really good for anything else. But right. you know, they did stuff like that. You know, a lot of creative stuff. You know, just with your hands. You right. Know, with, exactly. We're gonna we're gonna get a piece of metal. And we're gonna beat right. it into the shape we need it to be. Right. And this that you know now CNCs and this that and the other. It's exactly. Like, I'm not beating anything. Right. I'm gonna tr- push the button on that machine. I'm gonna chunk out right. thirty of them. I'm gonna send right. everybody I know. And I know? assume the rules back then was a little of looser is the right word. You know, I'm assuming nowadays everything on that tractor is probably regulated to where you're not gonna get over on the other guy. It, it, yeah, too much. Y- yes and no. It's regulated, but it's not necessarily checked that well. Really? So well, there's not you know they have NASCAR money for forty tech guys. Right. You know, at every event. Right. I mean, they're not holding templates over right. the tractor and measuring this. Occasionally, right. they'll measure some of this, that, and the other. Sure. But generally speaking, it's a gentleman's sport. Right. So you don't have to worry about that quite as much. And the other thing is the prize money isn't huge. So you don't have quite the deal. Like now, NASCAR, there's $150,000 yeah. on the line. So yeah. by gosh, if I can run this and they're exactly. going to catch it, I'm going to run it. Exactly. Tractor pulling, it's bragging rights. Right. And it's just a good excuse to hang out with your friends. Right. So. Yeah, that's what I think would have been cool back in the farm stock days. You know, you take a guy like your dad, who's a very well respected mechanic really knows what he's doing and he just has to outthink the other guy yeah. you know what can i do to get ahead of this guy you know, you and know you take three turbos make them into one yeah right you know well now they're not doing that they're just 
they're CNCing the whole turbo from scratch, right? And, and nothing comes off a production line. They're all making it right. there, you know? exactly. And and that's what I even hate about the local poles anymore. And that's why I almost quit going to them because it got to where it was just such a money game. Because you know these local towns with four hundred people. I mean. That, once again, they've got rules printed on a piece of paper, but how far can you... I mean, nobody's got yeah. the money to tear this tractor yeah. down and see what's inside it. And and it did. It got to where the guy with the most money was winning, but you couldn't do nothing about it because how are you going to prove it, you know? Exactly. And, Unfortunately, that I think every motorsport's to that point now. Right. You know, whether it's NASCAR, NHRA, tractor pulling, it's gotten to the point where there's always going to be somebody that's willing to write a bigger check. Right. And, and that makes a lot... And it's always been that way a little bit, right. but you could kind of out maneuver some of those guys now you right. can once in a while but to do it consistently is very difficult right and that's what always killed me about these guys at these local polls that were you know take the old barnyard class that i used to pull in you know 71 30 case h front wheel assist magnum you had to run yeah. a two-wheel drive i mean they were literally farm trackers yeah and nobody cared but once again you had these guys you know everybody would turn the screw prior to the pull because yeah. you know big deal okay fine we turned it up a little bit we're gonna yeah. turn it right back down because we got to use this tractor i'm not yeah. looking to scatter the fucking motor yeah, yeah exactly but then you had the guys that well they had to put a bigger turbo on then a different cam and it's yeah, like god damn it a 60 30 coming down the track that you're farming with yeah. is not blowing a fucking tornado 50 feet in the air all the way down the yeah. track you know and yeah. it just ruined it it's like you know would you guys just stop and just let somebody have fun in a class for it, once it, it's tough to regulate that i mean human nature takes you to the point where you want to do more than the other guy but at some point in time and what tractor pulling fails to realize i'll get on my soapbox here is we're selling a show right exactly and exactly. that show can be good with a thousand horsepower it can be yep. good with three thousand horsepower it can yep. be good with five thousand horsepower exactly because they all go the same speed yep from the farm stock hot farm tractors now to pro stock mods right. whatever they all run the same speed exactly they'll maintain it a little longer than the smaller classes but they all run the same speed right so the average fan can't necessarily tell some classes from others, right? Right. So you just got to make peace with the fact you're selling a show. Exactly. Keep it to a level where you can have 40 participants instead of 10. Right. And and make it go. Because it's no different than the sled operator at the beginning of the class because, you know, they always got to weight the sled. And, you know, a lot of times you'll see tractors pull twice because something was weighted wrong or whatever. You know, he could stop every one of you guys 100 foot if he wanted. But Absolutely. you're not going to put on a show. So no, it's like exactly. you got to let them run out the length of the track. And yeah. then we're going to find a happy medium here where it's fair for everybody. And yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so you're right. You're selling a show, and and I mean, I don't know. It's it, I, I don't know how you ever line some of this stuff out at the local level tractor pulls where it's like, guys, come on, you know, I, I just want to bring my ten year old boy up here and let him pull my old forty twenty yeah. to have fun. But you had to fucking ruin it because you put twin turbos and everything yeah, else on yours exactly. to win seventy five bucks. I mean, come on. Well, they used to give you a bag of seed corn, but yeah. seed corn got too high, so they wouldn't give you that. Now. Exactly. Yeah. Now I wish they would go yeah. back and give him the seed corn. Yeah. I'll take three hundred bucks. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, they cut that out. <laughs> yeah, it's just funny though how things have changed. And I'll tell you another one that I always have to go back and look at is the volume of tractors made back in the day. Yeah. And don't quote me on the numbers, but I'm wanting to say like between a John Deere A and like a Farmall M or an H. I mean, there was like what five, six hundred, six, seven hundred thousand of each one of those. I mean, it was a mind-boggling number. Could be yeah. of M's and H's that were produced. Yeah. I mean, it was just crazy stupid. But like I said back then, you're there was no used tractors. I mean, you, right. you got off a horse and got on a NIM. Exactly, you know? exactly. And they were probably, what, 800 bucks? Right. Yeah, um, yeah. wouldn't have any more than that, I don't think. You know, so you, you went and got one as soon as you scraped right. up, you know, yep. $400 to put down. Yep. And went and got one. Yep. Yeah, and I, I don't quote me on them numbers because I, I don't remember, but it was on tractor data. 
and pulled it up one day. And I mean, it was, it was an absolutely mind boggling number. I mean, it was well over 200,000. I'm not saying it yeah. was six, but I mean, it was a shit pot full of the well, tractors. I mean, it, you don't even have to go that far back. Look at the numbers of tractors they made in the seventies of whatever model, right. you know, I think they made right. 40 some thousand, 1066s. Yep. Then go to the eighties. Right. And pick out any model in the eighties. Yeah. And it's not nowhere near for right. 40,000. Well, when yeah. did IH hit the 5 million, tra- the 1066? I mean, that was the 5 millionth company tractor not the five million ten sixty six yeah. for those of you listening but that was that in like 75 74 yeah it'd have been right in there sometimes yeah. you know they'd made five million tractors since yeah. the beginning of the company and yeah. i mean what have they made since then i mean four hundred thousand. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't be nothing. yeah it's probably not astronomical and the the funny thing about that is look how long it took any other company to get to the five million mark it right. was years before anybody else got to five million yeah i mean what what would deer be roughly i have no idea when deer's five million i think it took them another 10 15 years did it? I, I think because did, did deer make a big deal about it when they not that i know of really and i guess on ih why was it the five millionth was it just they, or did they do that every time they hit a million? I mean, was there the one million? No, I, I think it just seemed like a good thing to do at the time. You know, a lot of that depends on who's in charge of what at, right. at a given time. Right. And somebody in marketing probably right. said, hey, we're coming up on five million. Yep. Let's paint it white. And right. Let's make let's showcase it. Which know? maybe it was closer to seventy six because you know everybody got patriotic with the bicentennial. Mm-hmm. Case had the fifteen seventy spirit of seventy six. Yeah. So maybe maybe internationals was getting close. Not saying it was in seventy six, obviously, because it wasn't a black stripe. But maybe it was getting close. It was getting close. Yeah. Kind of way to kick that off or whatever. But I don't think deer done anything did they? <laughs> to my not, not that I know of. Right. The the other thing I always question on those is I don't know if those companies know when they made what. Did they keep that close account? You know, right. was there a guy sitting there with a clicker watching right. that? I'm, I'm not sure that some of those didn't slip through the cracks. That could have been the six millionth tractor, could have been the four millionth. Exactly. You know, I mean, who, who's going to prove right. them wrong? Right. I you mean, know? do they count the ones that they know are going for testing? You're going to pull this tractor off the line, take it to the track, and well, just beat the shit it's, out of it's it? It's pretty subjective. Right. You know, I'm not sure they actually know. Exactly. Yeah. But that's pretty crazy. I would like to know how many tractors IH, you know, and throw in the case IH, whatever, have been built since the five millionth up until now. I mean, it wouldn't be any. They're not to ten million, I bet. No, it's been several years since then. Exactly. Like I said, everything gets bigger. Yeah, you know, it took you back then two or three M's and H's to do what a fourteen sixty six would do just in the seventies. I mean, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's it's neat how that stuff has changed, and I've always said there's nothing. On the face of this earth, in my opinion, and maybe it's just because I'm in it, that has changed as rapidly as farming has. I mean, even you and I went from 806s that were built in the 60s. Yeah. And that's what everybody farmed with when we were yeah, kids. I mean, you, know, you didn't have nothing new. I mean, you have the occasional guy that he might have bought a 1086 or yeah. or something. But And then it seemed like there was a big jump in there. Guys went from... 1066s all the way up to yeah you know fairly recent magnum you a 7230 yeah. or something you, you, know, you remember like the one guy in the neighborhood had a magnum you're like holy cow right that guy bought a magnum yeah exactly you know, we're just coming off the 80s right you know or it was in the late 80s yeah. it's like, did he rob a bank where do you where do you come up with this magnum you know it's like yep. and that that didn't really progress and it's like bang 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 everybody's yep. got something newer because it started progressing so fast yeah you know when we were kids nobody had a front wheel assist tractor right it wasn't really until the magnums or you know and uh probably a 4960 deer yep eight thousand series where you start seeing front wheel assist showing yep you know there yep. just wasn't very many you know yep. we were a heston dealer back then and sold a fair amount of front wheel assist but that was a little bit unheard of yeah you know i love 50 series internationals but a four, front wheel assist one of those takes 40 acres to turn yeah exactly you know? and in our immediate area around here the only four-wheel drive tractors you've seen were Steigers. Yeah. I don't know of anybody that had a red four-wheel drive or a four-wheel drive John Deere 
And I mean, there might be one that fell through the cracks, but there was several there green staggers. Very few. There was there was a few green staggers, maybe one or two versatiles, but they'd have been fairly far yep. away. Yep. yep. I, I can't think of any right in our neighborhood, but yeah, some green staggers or whatever. It's all. It's always funny to me how some of the companies that have arguably the best product have poor business management and don't end up making it. Yeah, it is. You know, when it comes to four-wheel drives, Stagger more or less invented them, and they're the best at it, in my opinion. Yeah. But they didn't survive. Right, you know? exactly. I mean, they're still kind of alive today, and I'd be honest with you, if I was ordering a new one today, and I'm red guy through and through, you know that. I'll take one in lime green. Yep, exactly. I want mine Those in lime green. Cool. I still love them lime, yeah. in lime green. <laughs> and it's crazy, even up until, I'm going to say, let's just call it 10 years ago, when you parked a Case IH Steiger four-wheel drive tractor next to a deer, the amount of steel in that Steiger yeah. tractor set next to that deer was mind-boggling. I mean, everything on that deer was plastic. The fenders, the hood, yeah. everything. I mean, that everything on that IH was steel. Yeah. I mean, other than the hood that you raised to work on the motor. But, I mean, the fenders, the fuel tanks, all well, those. Well, up until the 9300 series, even the hood was steel, you know? Oh, was it? Yeah. yeah on, yep. on those. You know, it, the nice part about Steiger always was from a... And maybe this is part of their demise, but you know you could about go to a Napa and rebuild a stagger. Right. You know the brake master cylinders, this, that, and the other. Yep. All that stuff was whatever they could go and get and source because yep. they weren't a large company. I mean, they were right. a large company compared to you know companies that you and I might run. Sure. But they were in the grand scheme of Case and Deer. Right. They weren't a large company. So you could go get some of that stuff or whatever, and, and they try to use all common parts and so on and so forth, which probably actually plays against them in the long run. Right. Because. Well, then you why, why am I going back to the dealer to get it? Right. I'll just go to Napa. Exactly. That's where they're going to get it anyway. Exactly. So, but yeah, those things are pretty massive. You know, you think back, it's like those things were 500 and some horse with 1,150 cubic inch motors <laughs> when they were green. And then we went through a period where four-wheel drives were only 400 and some horse. Yeah. And it took us how much longer to get back to 525, right. 600 again? Yeah. You know, doing it with smaller engines, pushing them harder. Right. But it's like, you, if you see one of those old 525s with that KT 1150 in it, they're still pretty cool, and those things been, bring killer money. Is that because right? Not, well, there wasn't a ton of them, and they're still pretty awesome. Right. You Which know? what all was there? There was a puma, a tiger, a panther. I mean, so there was you got to know your cats to be a tiger. Exactly. Guy. You got to know your cats. And I'm not a cat expert when it comes to cats, <laughs> yeah. but I have learned them over the years. And all I can tell you is, I think a tiger is the biggest one. Was it? A tiger is the yep. biggest cat. Yeah. Yep. I think the ones that I ran years ago, it was an ST310. I think them was a panther. Those were Panthers. We had an ST310. Okay. Great tractor. Loved it. Yep. It was a Panther. And now could you Panther get... Panther 3. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Now, could you get either the cat motor or the Cummins, or was it the cat was in the smaller? No. And that's probably another thing where Steiger may or may not have been wise at. I mean, they were trying to appease everybody, it looked like to me. But you could basically get a cat version or a Cummins version in every size tractor they made. Really? I didn't know. For the most part, yeah. I'll be dead. They were a little different model number. Yep. Like, you know, the 310 was a Cummins, but you could get a version of a cat that might have been a 325 or whatever. I'll be dang. Yeah, and they did that clear. Even some of the first 9100 series stackers had cats. I'll be dang. You could get a cat in, in a few of those. I'll be darned. Yeah. I tell you, I set my personal record on a Steiger ST310 back when I was working for Hennings. We'd rented some, and this was with a 38-foot John Deere 726 mulch finisher, which that's a whole other story on them yeah. if you're into tillage. Yeah. But I worked, and you got to realize for Central Illinois, where we're at, now, you know, we're not up around Decatur or Northern Illinois where you got huge fields. I mean, around here, the biggest field you're going to find is about 
about 80 acres. Yeah. You might find a 120 every now and again. And, yeah. and you don't have all 80s. I mean, it's an, a yeah. nice one's an 80, then you got 40s and on down. But I worked 525 acres in one day with that son of a bitch <laughs> with a 38 foot mold. That's pretty good. That's pretty <laughs> and, good. Nice. And that was, I started at probably 6 30 that morning, and it was, I'm going to say 9 30 that night. I finally called Rob. And I'm like, you got to have somebody come relieve. I'm like, I, I can't do it. Because it was all, you know, chiseled corn stalks. I, I mean, just fucking beat me to death the entire day. And he's like, I think you've had enough for one day. Yeah. <laughs> I'll never forget. We had that ST310, which was a great tractor. I loved it dearly. If I had the money, I'd have kept it, and I'd have parked it in the shed. But it was too big to store just for fun. But I love that tractor. But we just kind of got into the vertical tillage thing where we were running fast. And that thing had lights in the front of it. There might have been two big lighters. And maybe a mag light with a dead battery. Yep. I mean, they, they, the lights were not good. So you're running 10, 12 mile an hour. Like, of course, that thing has a 20 speed. So you've got a gear for everything. <laughs> exactly. Like literally, I mean, that was the one beauty of the stagger. You had a gear yep. from if you wanted to walk next to it and shine the tires. Yep. Or you want to go 26 mile an hour down the road. Yep. It had a gear in there for everything. So I'm clipping along. And I'm in a field with woods on both sides. And I'm running at an angle. Next thing you know. Holy, and you can't idle it up too much on the ends because right. you don't have a hydraulics to steer exactly. and raise the implement. It's like, holy shit, there's some trees. <laughs> You're outrunning the headlights. Yeah, I got to turn, yeah, I'm outrunning the headlights and the brakes ain't real good, so you better turn fast. Yeah. 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 He gives stuff in a little bit of a bind with one of those. So that wasn't too long after that. I L or back then, HID'd everything, put all HID lights all the way around it. And that made yep. all the difference in the world. But. And, and truthfully, I don't know where they ever come up with the lime green color, but. That, it sounds that, dumb as shit, but that was cool. That plate, I mean, the reason they did that is they got a bulk buy on a bunch of leftover paint in that color. Is that right? They, they got a sweet deal on some paint originally no. in that color. <laughs> and they're like, well, now it's our color, so right. we got to go with it. I'll be damned. Yeah. And uh, I mean, yeah, like I say, I can name what, of three or four around here in the immediate area back when I was a kid. And you didn't really pay that much attention to them. You're like, hey, that's a, you always knew it was a Steiger. I mean, yeah. that, that name, you know, and the color. But. Looking back now, that was cool. I mean, because you don't see them things anywhere anymore. I not, mean, not yeah. very many. You know, there was a guy not very far from here who used to rent thirty or forty of them yep. out a year. Yep, exactly. You know, well, your you know former employer yep. had a couple of yep. them from him for yep. a little bit. Yep. And you know, that's all kind of went by the way because so, they've gotten old now. They're more right. collectible, this, that, and the other. But right, they they pretty much set the standard when it comes to four wheel drives. Yeah, those were they. Were, I wonder what a what does Steiger cost new when you know in the eighties as an ST three ten. I mean, was that a I don't know. We'd have to look at them on tractor data. I don't know. And also, was that a a uh, competitor of Big Bud? Because I know Steiger was in, what, Grand Forks, North Dakota? Uh, Steiger was in uh, Fargo. Or Fargo, okay. Fargo. And, of course, Big Bud was in South Dakota, I think, or yeah, somewhere out in there. Somewhere out in there, but, you know, you... I don't know any big buds that made it west or east of the Mississippi. No, no, I, I did not. Knowledge. So, growing up as a kid collecting toy tractors, I would always see these big white big bud tractor toy collectibles mm -hmm. and i'm like well that's some knockoff rural king piece of shit until i went on wheat harvest in 1998 and was literally out in big bud country it's like holy shit these things really are a tractor i, saying, I had no idea other than toy shows or tractor shows i've never seen and i've seen them some at a tractor show in person i've never seen one in the field no. i don't know if there's any east of the mississippi no. for 20 years in there you no know? i if you would bring a big bud back here and try to sell it well nowadays i guess with media where everybody knows but 20 years ago you wouldn't have been able to give it away it'd been brand new off the factory yeah floor with zero hours and like what the hell's that thing i mean nobody's heard of it so yeah i, I did not know until 1998 that a big bun was a real tracker i always seen the toys and i thought well you know it's some knockoff yeah. it like an urtle you know yeah exactly <laughs> yeah no doubt <laughs> no it, it was a real tracker so 
That's crazy. But I always wonder if that was a response, you know, response. Big Bud was just, I assume it was a family-owned yeah, company. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I don't know but, the exact history on them. But which, they're hell for stout, too. Yeah, I, mean, I think they had good product. And they were huge, but I, you couldn't get them down the roads here. Exactly. Exactly. You know? Yeah. But, yeah, the, the stagger thing was, you know, they pretty much set the standard in that for a long, long time. Yeah, they did. I wonder how IH ever got. So, to- IH was part owner in stagger. The whole time? Not the whole time. I'm not sure when they bought in, but they were part owner in Stagger for a while. And then I think they might have sold their part off, and then Case bought it back and bought the, bought the whole thing. Then oh, we did. Yeah. Yep. Well, I, Case didn't buy shit. Tenneco bought something. Well, Tenneco yeah. didn't buy. Or Case didn't buy anything. Right. Case went broke long before I aged. A little fact that you Case guys ought to realize. But <laughs> yeah. Nobody bought a Case because they were good. They bought them because they were cheap. Yep. And it's funny too because I can barely remember when I was a kid. The case dealer that sold the white case trackers yeah. at Effingham, Illinois. There now it's a mobile home place now. Yeah, but shit, I couldn't have been seven, eight, nine years old. I barely remember that. And I remember there was international dealerships. I do remember all them around. Yeah, and then I remember when it all merged. But yeah, that's yeah. I guess maybe that was our our cool time. You know, like we always talk about our dads. You know, I mean, we've seen a few big major mergers and Case IH come out of it, and now we've seen the. I feel we're fortunate is we got to run the old stuff plus the new stuff where yeah. our dads could give two shits less about a combine with a yield monitor. Yeah. That just gets in the way. You know, yeah. they just soon rip it out. I got to push these buttons. Uh, just, <laughs> exactly. It's going to harvest crap without it. They don't care. Exactly. Yeah, that that wouldn't be a deal breaker for them. Like to me, if it ain't got auto steer, fuck it. I don't want it. I'm not even driving it. I'm not. I refuse to touch the steering wheel where <laughs> my dad or whoever else, you know, that's unheard of. To yeah. Them, yeah, for sure. So maybe you can answer this because i guess i don't really know enough about versatile trackers was that an independent company if it's yeah i believe so um yeah i mean and they were very popular back in the day as yeah. well um my opinion of versatile versus stagger which is my only two frames of reference for the most part versatile stuff was all fairly unique like they made all their own stuff for the most part that you weren't yeah. going to napa to rebuild one of those gotcha now was emma cummins Motor University? Yeah, all, all the ones I've been around were, okay. always, were always Cummins powered, you know, which is which is fine. They were kind of the standard to some level. Right. Um, they drive completely different than a stagger. Like really? you're not hopping out, hopping out of a stagger and hopping in a versatile and gonna feel comfortable. No kidding. I've never you, been in one of the old yellow or orange, whatever color, orange and black. If you, ones. If you grew up in one of those, they're probably fine. But if you grew up in staggers and you hop in one of those, they drive backwards. And I can't explain how they drive backwards, but they drive backwards. No kidding. So, you know, myself, you know, I, we had a 2 plus 2 at one point in time. Yep. I had a 4568, had a 4586, a couple of 4586s. Yep. Um, whatever. They drive backwards. Really? To a stagger. Like, you set low. They they pivot funny, kind of, sort of. Perfectly good tractors, well within their own. And they don't have road gear that will get you anywhere. Right. But, you know, they're very successful, very popular so on and so forth but they were everything was unique on them like they didn't use oh, yeah. a lot of common parts for the most part really and uh, they sold the ford new holland i guess is how that worked or was that a merger i i i assume at some level new holland bought them out um but i really don't know on that yeah i'm the same way because you know i know for several years there was a what they was a blue tractor that said ford 
But you, you can, only can never pick a color. I mean, right. it doesn't matter what machinery they 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 use red, they use yep. blue, they use yellow. Exactly. Yeah, they got a lot, they got a rainbow. And you can actually get a versatile combine now, right? Now that's, I think you can, yeah. Yeah, that's that's one tractor I've never I've never drove. And I've never drove a two plus two international. I always thought that would be awkward as shit. No, nah, in it, front of the cab. So two plus twos go one of two ways. You either love them or you hate them. Right. Um and for the for the record, everybody I know that's ever had one absolutely loved it. I've never heard personally anybody that said that was the I biggest. I really can't say anything bad about ours. The only thing I wish it was have been a sixty five instead of a thirty five. Okay, sixty five shifted on the right where a tractor should shift. Right, or thirty five was like a ten eighty six shift on the left, crawl over the leaders, oh, catch them coming out the door, fall and trip. But two plus twos, honestly, would have been super popular now to this day. Had the merger not happened. Case hated those things with a passion, which is why they killed the 70 series off, which would have went over big. Case wanted the old crab steer. They wanted the crab steer, which is why after, after, you know, when they had Stagger, in the 9200 series, they brought two crab steer models back because they were hell-bent that that was going to be the ticket. And they sold like five of them because, well, nobody wants crab steer. You just bend it in the middle. Exactly. Two plus twos, honestly, for a lot of things, were awesome. They're really? kind of, well, back then, a front-wheel assist took 40 acres to turn around. Right. A 2 plus 2 will turn shorter than a 2 will drive. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, they turn short. You don't have to hit the brake at the end. You just crank the wheel, bang, off, it goes the other way. Yeah, yeah the hood's long. Who cares? Right. You know, by today's standards, looking at the hood of a big front-wheel assist now with the cooling package and everything you got, your view's not really any different. Right. You know, right. you could carry saddle tanks on those. They turn short for planting, cultivating, a lot yeah. of things. They were way ahead of their time. They didn't execute it necessarily as good as they could have. Right. But and was that a deal on a on a two plus two? You couldn't put duels on the front on the smaller ones. I know them bigger, like the sixty sevens or seventy three eighty eights. Whatever so, the fuck they was. So three thousands, thirty you know thirty threes, thirty fives, thirty sevens. You weren't supposed to, even though some people did, and they look awesome with duels. But sixty three, sixty five, sixty sevens. You weren't supposed to either. The seven thousand series. You were going to be gotcha. able to. Those were badass. Those which were there was bad very ass. few of them ever made. Was like sixteen of one and eleven of the other. Yeah. And Case really, really pooped the bed on that deal, in my opinion, by killing those off. For one, they had all the stuff sitting there to build. I heard the stats one time. Like they had enough parts there sitting there to build like two, three, four hundred of those wow. already sitting there. No kidding. And they salvaged all that stuff. They I'll just sent it to the scrapyard. Wow. The, the few that were together, they went ahead and sold, yep. but they scrapped the rest of them. And truthfully, that would have set the standard to a certain level. Yep. Like I said, you either love them or you hate them. They kind of got a bad rap because the 3000 series, they were had IH not went broke, they were going to go back and fix a lot of things that they messed up on the 3000 series. Sure. But, or 30 series, however you want to call it. But uh, you know, obviously it never happened because the 80s were happening and right. they went broke. But. Wow. So what all is under the hood? On a two plus two, I mean, what makes that thing so long? I mean, that thing. Well, it's the best hood I ever had. You just clip, pull one clip, or pull the cable, and the hood's completely out of your way. And now, is it slide forward? It slides forward. Yeah, it slides forward. So it's like on a track. It's on a track. Rolls forward. If you pick it up at the end and jog it a little bit, you can set it clear off. No in kidding. Like three minutes. Not even three minutes. Like thirty seconds. I'll be darned. Um, so it's just the engine, and then the. A drive shaft and a fuel tank. No you know, kidding. You know. I, I always wonder, it's like, what in the hell is going on from the front of the cab to the front of the... I mean, it's like, that thing is a mile long, but... Well, part of it was, though, I think they just want to make room for saddle tanks, because back then, everybody was spraying their own. Mm-hmm. You know, you had some sort of attachment on your fuel cultivator where you right. were spraying Dual or whatever yep. it was back then. Yep. Atrazine, whatever. Yep. You were spraying it, and you needed saddle tanks, right? Yep. Well, you're 4848 48, 48 carrying them. 
your 1086 ain't carrying them very well. Yep. Two plus two will. I'll be done. And they turn short. They're not in the way. You can make it happen. Yep. You know, so. I always wanted to drive one because it just looked weird as hell pivot in front of the cab instead of behind the cab. To me, that would be so awkward, but and I guess it's not. It's, it's fine. You just follow it around. I'll be done. You know, it's not. <laughs> Which, wherever, wherever the nose goes, you're going. Right. <laughs> Which I assume, because I'll never forget the first time I drove a four-wheel drive. I mean, for the first two hours, I hated it. It's like, I can't get used to this. And once you catch on, it's like, you couldn't give me a, yeah. a tractor now that don't pivot in the middle. And yeah. It, yeah, that's just crazy. So I always wondered how them, do they ride good? I, I yeah, mean, they ride fine. No kidding. Yeah, they ride They ride nice. I mean, way better than the 1086. Right. Um, I, I got no beast with two is, is that basically a 1086 or a 15, whichever, <laughs> yeah. cab, rear end, whatever? And yeah, from the back cab. So, the, you know, 33s, 35s, 37s is a 1086. The back half of a 63, 65, 67 is more like a 36, 88. I'll be done. Where it shifts correctly. Yep. Et cetera, et cetera. The cab's basically, you know, it's the same cab, but they sure. move the shifting back to the right where it ought to be and right. so on and so forth. But, you know, like I said, you weren't buying a front wheel assist that was really worth the shit back then. Yeah, exactly. I mean, nobody had a front wheel assist that was really all that great. They right. didn't turn short. They were right. kind of cumbersome. Right. This, that, and the other. That was ahead of time right. on that. I mean, what was IH's? Like a 52, 54, 88 would have been their first, what I would call big. I mean, I know you get a front wheel assist on a 1466 at one time, but I mean, yeah, you know, that but was they kind were of a, popular. I mean, nobody right. bought it back then. But probably like, like a 54, 88 would have been one of their well, first. But been the first widespread front wheel assist. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like and then were a few and far between around. I mean, even the 5200 series tractor alone wasn't that popular in this area. You know, they sold pretty good in numbers of those considering it was the 80s and they were going down anyway, but not that many front wheel assists. Right. You know, exactly. and I love them. There's not a cooler looking tractor than a 50 series front wheel assist. Right. I mean, those things look awesome. Right. I only know of one in. that's about seven, eight miles from here. And outside of that, though, when I was a kid, there was a lot of 1086s, a lot of mm-hmm. 1586s. But that 52, like you say, it was just, it got into the 80s far enough and they were going broke that there just wasn't. Well, the front wheel assist wasn't super popular. No, it wasn't. You know, it just it just hadn't made its its way into the market yet. Yep, it's funny because I was helping a neighbor here. That's probably been two years ago now, and he's got a fifty two eighty eight on his grain cart, and he was having me just pull it around, basically around the barn lot there. And I hadn't been in a two wheel drive tractor in so long. You, I'm used to front wheel assist that you don't even in the barn lot you don't have to push the brake to turn. They're just going to grab and turn. Now the field's different, but. I'll never forget that. I was trying to turn. I mean, no, the front end was just sliding. Old. I'm yeah. like, God damn, I ain't drove a two-wheel drive cab dragger in so long. It was just nuts to me. But Yeah, we had a 5288. We traded green cards. I traded green cards much to my dad's dismay for a little bit there. We had it on a 5288 two-wheel drive, and it was muddy. And it got muddy right after I traded. It wasn't muddy when I traded, but like the day I brought it home, it rained the next day. And it was muddy all the rest of the fall. So you'd have to blow up to the wagon or the truck, whatever, kind of slam the brake, try to swing it because you couldn't stop. Right. Swing it and get part of the load off, and then because the field was mud, but the lane was solid, and then you could swing it around and go ahead and top it off. And he's like, I told you that cart's too big. <laughs> Wasn't too long after that, we got a magnum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I tell you what, though, of course, you know, being a kid, everything that's new is cool and neat and whatnot, but I, I will still say to anybody on this planet that the 71, 7200 series magnums, even the 89s, was the, the most durable tractor ever put on this planet and i'm not saying that the john deere 8000 series wasn't but just something about that magnum tractors i mean them things are pretty tough i mean if you talk to any red dealer they will tell you that that tractor about broke them yeah because there's no service work exactly you know we're starting to see them show up now right but 
back then they just right. really caused I mean, any trouble. I got a cousin, you know him, that was a dairy farmer. He bought a yeah. brand new 7110. And I think it was a year they come out even. I mean, it was mm-hmm. like, I mean, it was one of the newest front wheels yeah. KJ tractors ever in this area. 7110 on a dairy farm. That thing was hooked to a shit spreader. And I don't know that it ever got unhooked. And the last time I talked to him, like two years ago, that thing, I thought he told me he had 12 or 13,000 hours on it and had never had the hood off that tractor. Yeah, never. I can believe Change that. oil in it and go. Yeah. I mean, it just, nothing. They, I mean, they, just they never touched it. They were tough. You know, and IH doesn't get necessarily full credit for, that tractor was done. You know, they, they had it done. Yeah, they put a case hood on it at the end right. to make it look like a case, but they had it done prior to that. I can show you some pictures of a 5048 with the fenders, the side console, all that. But, you know, they don't, they don't get full credit on that, but those things were done and tough. And truthfully, you know, if you look at the rear end housings where the hydraulic pumps mounted, this, that, and the other, they still base that off current production tractors today are still based off that yeah, tractor exactly. from 1982, yeah. three, four, yep. five. Exactly. You know, they were ahead of their time on that. They just... And it was cool to go from a tractor that you had to clutch and jack with two levers mm-hmm. to get it in gear and always grinding gears and this and that and torque and whatnot to where you just had 18-speed full power. Yeah. I mean, it was it was neat. It, you, you know, the funny part about that is, <laughs> you know, my dad's theory always is that, that John Deere always built what farmers wanted and IH built what farmers needed. But let's face it, you don't want what you... You don't buy what you need. You buy what you want. Right, exactly. Right? You know, which is probably how they've made it. But... You know, they had the full single lever power shift done in the 50 series, and somebody in marketing or higher up the chain said, no, farmers aren't ready for that. We really? don't need single lever power shift. We'll go ahead and give them the side-by-side. No kidding. Uh, you know, one-speed power shift, basically, whatever, and, and that's good enough for them. I'll be dang. But it was also it was the 80. You know, they picked a poor time to retool. Right. Had they done that prior, let's face it, you can't, I'm as red as they get. 1086s suck. Oh, and it absolutely. should have never been produced. Was, yeah. should, at bare minimum, that should have been a 3688 style tractor with the cab done correctly because yeah. nobody wants anything that's just on the left. Right. I get it. There's, you know, yep. it's just not a good idea. But they had a bunch of that stuff. They had CVT back then. Nobody knows what happened to that tractor. It got cut up and salvaged and, and taken out of, you know, nobody knows what happened to it. No kidding. They had all that. Yep. Way ahead of their time, but the 80s hit, and you know, if you could sell 8,000 tractors a year, right, or 8,000 tractors of that model, you're yep. doing pretty good, yep, you know. Which just, I, I, that's where I will say, as far as comfort in the 80s, I do think Deer had them somewhat to me. A 1086 was an all around awkward tractor to even drive, the controls were laid out goofy. It didn't just kind of fit. And I'm, I'm by no means a fan of John Deere Soundguard tractors. I mean, you guys have seen that on TikTok, but at least when you said in it. You did feel somewhat comfortable. Where a 1086 to me was just an, whoever came up with that should have been fired immediately. That was the worst design of a tractor ever put on this planet. Well, I've always said I would have liked to. I would have liked to have been in, above them in IH at that time, and we would have modded their car while they were busy doing at work, and their car would have shifted on the left next to the yeah, door. Exactly, and the doors would open backwards and see how exactly. they like. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The whole thing was a train wreck. Yeah, it, it was, really a, it was a train wreck from beginning to end. I mean, it, it was their mantra was it rides like a horse. I don't know if you've ever ridden a horse. Horses don't ride that good. Exactly. There's a reason we switched right. to other stuff. Right. You know, but part of it is on the ride is as tractors get heavier, they ride better, right? Because it's hard right. to balance more weight. Right. And they, but if you weighted them down, then you had other issues, so on and so forth. I could go on and on about what 1086s should have been and should not have been. Now, that being right. said, as a little kid, going from an open station tractor to a 1086, oh, yeah. 
It was a pretty big day for Nick. Yeah, I, I it enjoyed was. that quite a bit. I remember I slept hours behind that seat. I look at one of those now. I'm like, how did I ride with anybody? Right. And then you know, Dad <laughs> turned me loose with it, and I'm running. I'm like, Mom, in high cotton. Now I got air conditioning. Yeah. I got a radio I can hear. You know, no the old fender tractors. Your brother can hear the radio right. three, three fields away better than you can hear right. it in the same field. You know, exactly. It's like this is spectacular. You know, I loved it. But by same token, like I said, we were a Heston dealer back then. We had a lot of Heston, still got one. And it's like all these problems that I see that, that Deer had and IH had at the time. It's like, huh, yeah, I'll take my Heston. Yeah. I realized they weren't near as popular as either one of those, but I'm like, the doors open correctly. Right. And I've been in yours, and that, that was a, a neat cab for the day. Way ahead of its time. It was. Way ahead of its time. Had the throttle over on the side. Yeah. You know, Foot throttle. Yeah. Which you're not getting in an IH till. Or a Deer. You're even. not getting in an IH till you get to the MX series. There was a few in a Magnum. I mean, they yep. were available back in the A06 series, mm-hmm. but nobody had one. Exactly. You know? Yep. Just a lot of things on that. That Heston cab is far and away superior from from Deer and Case, in my opinion. But yep, it is. You know, it is what it is. But, it is. And they had good power. You know, we always kind of marketed them as IH motor with a deer rear end. Right. You know, because right. they didn't have rear end trouble and they were, had great motors. Yep. You know, exactly. They, they don't burn much fuel. Start good. They run good. Yep. You know, to this day, all those little ones we sold we never have had an engine apart. Right. Those they run forever. Yeah, that's crazy. You know? And that's what's funny because you know I've literally been all over this country, and I mean all over this country. And without sight of you guys being a Heston dealer, there was probably more Heston tractors in this area. And I'm talking big tractors for those of you who don't know what a Heston tractor is. I mean, we're talking 200 horse tractors. Yeah. And uh, and you guys sold them. You know, there was front wheel assist, two wheel drives. You know, cab tractors. Then they even had little loader tractors for the dairy farmers, whatnot. But Everywhere I've ever been across this country, and I'm not saying they're not out there, but you never see a Heston never. tractor anywhere. They're, they're very regional. I mean, of course, they didn't have a ton of dealers, this, right. that, and the other. You know, the ironic part of that is we get made fun of back in those days, and then, because Fiat owned them. Right. Oh, I'm not buying this. I'm not buying that. You know, blah, 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 blah. Now, Fiat owns case. Nobody says a word. They're exactly. Still, they're buying them right. now. Right. You know, they just don't know it. Exactly. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you yep. know. Yep. And what uh, Agco... I think even if you get a new Agco a condition mower or whatever, the, up until a few years ago, they said Heston. Heston. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know if they still do. or what, Yeah, I what, think there's a small sticker. So they're Massey Ferguson by Heston. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yep. Or sure Heston enough. by Massey Ferguson, whatever yep. it is. Now, Heston, you know, since we're kind of on the line of, you know, I don't know if you call it short line tractors, you know, Big Bud, Steiger, all this, you know, yeah. Heston and whatnot. That was an Italian yeah. company? Italian, Fiat. Okay. Fiat owned them, and they, they partnered with Heston, the Hay Company from yep. Heston, Kansas. And uh, they sold tractors under the Heston name up until about early 90s. It, the last ones, they dropped the Heston name. They were still Heston Brown, but they said they just said Fiat on them. Really? And those tractors were awesome. Really? The last ones. They never made. They never released the big one. But, really? the, but the last small ones that they you know so they made an f-130 would have been as big as they ever made in the states i think they might have had the big ones in europe yep. but they never released them over here those cabs were far and away better than what you were getting at a, at a greener red dealership no kidding but they didn't sell very many of them right and yours and is a story. 1580 is that so right? ours is a 1580 power shift which they only made 10 or 15 of oh wow um, they made a ton of 1580s but the next series that were replaced that would have been the 160 90s 180 90s but then those you could get in power shift or uh, 16 speed with a shuttle. Right. Which, where else are you getting a shuttle in a 180 exactly. horsepower? And track, you know what? Right? Just before I even forget to think, that would make an awesome TikTok video. Because yeah. think, think about it. I mean, how many people listening to this now have ever seen a Heston tractor, let alone that's, that's what, 200 and some horse? I mean, what Everyone we sent out, because those motors made power so easy. Now, what, now so what motor? Was that a Fiat? Motor? A Veco. 
Event. Yeah. Okay. Which gotcha. is the same thing you're buying from your case dealer yep. now. Okay. Yep. You there know, you go. Yep. Only way better pre-emissions, et yep. cetera, et cetera. Sure enough. Uh, 494 cubes in the big ones. Everyone we sent out went out at 230 horse. Wow. Yeah, exactly. So, which was a lot in 1985. Yeah. So, how many yeah. people listen to this have seen a 230 horse Heston tractor? Mm-hmm. That, well, like you said, so this power shift, there was only 10 of them ever made? 10 or 15 of the 1580. They, they right. released, they, they were not prototypes, but they were like pre production. Exactly. So, they were hand built, put in there, and they, so at 1,000 hours, they took your tractor back, they give you a new power shift, and they took that one back in to inspect. No kidding. So, I think ours has. 1,800 hours on it, 1,900 hours. Wow. So the power shift's got yeah. 900 hours on it. Unreal. Give us a new one on it or whatnot. It, they were pretty way ahead of their time. I mean, yep. they, they really were. Even even the non-power shift version after that, like I said, you got 16 speeds in a shuttle. Yeah, exactly. You're not getting that anywhere else. Right. The, the gear shifts aren't in your way. They were, they were laid out pretty well. Right. Yeah, I mean, because like I say, outside of my immediate area, I've never seen Heston tractors anywhere else in this country. And I, I know they're obviously out there, but you don't, you know, you're not driving down through the interstate in Kentucky and see a Heston tractor working ground. I mean, no, you know, you just. No, it's, it was it was pretty regional. There's a lot out west, like Oklahoma, Colorado, mm-hmm. it seemed like they were fairly popular. It all depends on what you had for a dealer. Right, you know? exactly. So if anybody listened to this, if you have a Heston tractor, we want to hear a comment on just yeah. what you got. I'm just curious yeah. what it is, if you've had good luck with it. So. What what years were Heston tractors made? Do you know? I mean, was it you know from the seventy five to eighty five? Or I mean, yeah, I, I mean, so that I don't know when they went under the Heston name. They were Fiat's before they became Heston's, and then when they merged with Heston or bought Heston or however that deal worked, I'm not sure. We picked them up at eighty two, and sold them. I'm going to roughly tell you eighty two to ninety two. Yep. 92, 94, somewhere in there. Yep. Um, and then eventually they went back to Fiat name. And then ironically, once they bought New Holland, there was some brown New Hollands that were the same as like, a, oh, you, you see them, the first Genesis tractors? Yeah. Yep. They made brown versions of those. No kidding. Not a lot of them, but they made brown versions of those. Wow. And then ironically, they made blue versions of Heston's, and they only sold them in, uh, well, I don't know where all they sold them, but I know they sold them in Mexico. No kidding. My brother... Happened to be in Mexico and saw a brand new 18090, but they rebadged it to something else. But it was sure. blue. It was a it was a Heston tractor, the same thing we were selling five years That's prior crazy. to that. But it was painted blue. No I mean, kid. I've never seen another one, but he had a picture yeah. of one for me. I've seen a couple of them on Tractor House, but it's pretty rare. Yeah. Now yeah. are Heston tractors still sold overseas, or has that all been? I done know, away I with think once they the, bought New Holland in case they kind of merged into that name and, and so went on. so they bought New Holland. So Fiat case. bought New Holland first. Then they, well, they already owned Heston, or the majority stake of Heston, whatever. They bought New Holland. When that happened, they had they had the monopoly on the hay market, so they had to sell off one hay line, so they kept New Holland's hay line, regrettably, from my opinion, but whatever, and they sold the Heston hay line to Agco. No kidding. Um, and then later on, they bought Case IH. So Fiat's a huge company. I mean, they own Ferrari, Maserati. I'll be darned. Case IH, New Holland, they own... At any given time, I'm told, I, I don't keep up on it anymore, but roughly 200 companies in and out. No kidding. They I didn't of, know they that. They kind of buy and sell companies to a certain wow. extent. But And that Iveco motor, that's what you said is in the yeah. tractor that you got. What year is your Heston tractor? I mean, that's probably an 85, 80, 6, 80, I'll call it an 85, yeah. Yeah, that's the Iveco motor that's being put in. I mean, Well, not, it's not the same motor, but, but same company. Iveco is a division of Fiat. Yeah, that's who makes the motors for Case IH today. I'll be dang. So yeah. this ain't some short line no. motor in this thing that got scrapped and you can't even, you know, 
No. Funny thing about it. Well, so we never had much trouble with it. If you can get that thing to burn over a half gallon an acre, you're doing something. I mean, that's that the most right? fuel efficient tractor I've ever had. No kidding. It'll it'll run forever. Wow. Well, I know I got a neighbor up there, farms right by us, and I think he bought it from you guys. It's yeah. a 160 90 yep. front wheel assist. And because actually, that thing, it is set in a corner of his shed all tore down. He, I don't remember if he had motor trouble, whatever. And it's set in his shed forever. And finally, about two, three years ago, I seen it out one day. And I, so I texted him. I said, Damn, you got the old Heston going. And he texted me back. And I think he told me that thing had 15,000 hours on yeah, it or whatever. So. And whatever it was he'd done to the motor wasn't nothing major. He yeah. he just backed it in the shed and, you know, he had several other tractors. He just never got around to it. So, I mean, yeah. it wasn't like he had some rear end trouble and couldn't get parts or, you know, he yeah. just simply hadn't gotten around to fixing it. But, yeah. yeah, she's still running today. Yeah, they were tough. I mean, all those little 60, 70, 80 horse tractors we sold, never gotten an engine of any of those. Well, I mean, you know my cousin, the dairy yeah. farmer, he literally ran it till he broke it in, in half. half. I mean, literally yeah. broke the son of a bitch in half and picked yeah. it up in two pieces and put it on a trailer. Running across chisel plow ground crossways with a full loader bucket <laughs> that they welded extensions on. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. But that thing had had a massively hard life. Yes. <laughs> But the engine still ran. I, I never did tear the engine up in one of those. Yep. <laughs> so, what a deal. But we're going to have to cut this off right here. I mean, this has been an awesome conversation talking about these short line companies, the different tractors out there. Uh, yeah, we want to hear from everybody. If you got a Big Bud, a Steiger, a Versatile, a Heston, any of that stuff, be sure to drop a comment. Um, I love hearing about these companies that had super awesome products but never got as big as deer or case ih or any of that kind of stuff it's just so cool learning about their history and you know the people that have still got them and what they love about them hate about them all that good stuff but uh yeah we're gonna stop right here we'll pick it up next time um go follow nick on tiktok in mccormick 1466 uh maybe we can talk him into doing a video of this heston show you guys what that's all about but uh yeah we'll pick it up next time right here you're going to be hearing more from nick uh, he's going to be my co-host, I think, and we're going to see how this all works out. So thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you guys next time. And until then, have a beer for us.